1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tacovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots
2: today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows? Maybe we will learn something together. On this episode, I talked to Tony J. Peterson. And he's got a podcast called Hunt for Real and also Sporting Dog Talk Podcast. And he's an outdoor writer. Been doing that for quite some time now in the industry. He's the author of a book, Hunting Public Land Whitetails. And he also has a lot of different video content out there as well as the YouTube channel with his Hunt for Real podcast. And I'm guessing probably the Sporting Dog Talk as well. I don't really uh, listen to that one, but I probably should because I'm sure there's a lot of good bird hunting info and things like that on there. Uh, But Tony and I had a conversation quite some time ago, and he was actually one of the ones who helped me kind of just helped me along a little bit with some questions I had about starting a podcast. Uh, And, uh, I told him, I was like, Hey, if I ever get this thing running, I'd really like to have you on. And so we finally got a chance to where we got together, had a podcast episode. I got to tell you, it's all over the map, but when you got a guy like this on, you just want to ask him as many questions as possible. And the kind of the grand scheme of things around the entire episode is out of state hunts. And it's, uh, all different kinds, out-of-state hunts, anywhere from antelope, mule deer, elk, whitetails. We didn't really get into turkeys too much, but um, it's just one of them things that I really wanted to ask him a bunch of questions about that because he does travel around and do so much of that. Um, it, like I said, it is kind of all over the map. I do blame that on a little bit of fatigue. I ended up uh, having a couple sick kids in the house as well as uh, working, working a night shift with overtime as well as being up during the day with the sick kids. So I apologize for that, but, uh, bear with it and, uh, maybe we can learn something on it. Okay. So I'm sitting here and I've got Tony Peterson and, uh, Tony, why don't you introduce yourself?
0: Well, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with what I call myself these days cause it used to be pretty simple. You know, I used to be just an outdoor writer and then I became an outdoor writer and a photographer then I did some TV, and now I host two podcasts. I host Hunt for Real and Sporting Dog Talk. So I'm kind of I'm kind of leaning into just saying I'm a content creator <laughs> in the outdoor space because uh, I, I don't know how to define it anymore.
2: That's uh, that's a pretty good way to put it, I guess, because you actually you put out a lot, and I don't think more people probably know you than they actually know who you are because. There, there's so many articles that I'm sure I've even read picking up an Outdoor Life or, uh, you know, any type of magazine. And I'm going, man, that name, that name sounds familiar. And when I first discovered your podcast, I don't even remember how I stumbled upon it, but it might've been a search with Randy Newberg and mm-hmm. it popped up your podcast and I listened to it. And then I'm like, holy crap, I like this dude. And you very quickly became in my top five of who I listened to and I continue to listen and it's pretty cool that a lot of this got started because I reached out to you and uh, you helped me out there and uh, I like that
0: well yeah yeah we were you know we were just talking off air you know you're one of the many many people who've reached out to me for some help on starting something like this and you actually are going through with it which is (laughs) the the, the follow-through is pretty low man so it's cool to see
2: yeah. I also I I gotta say I have no interest in writing, so I won't ever be asking you about that. It is not something that I plan on doing. But how how do you uh, how do you do the day to day, man, and force yourself to sit down and actually do that? I, uh, I
0: well, I mean, technically, I sit down every Monday morning and I make a list. I'm like, here's my deadlines, here's what I got to get out. But really, the the motivation to keep going is it's kind of like a it's like a self-feeding machine where if i have a bunch of articles to do on you know hunting rabbits or scouting winter whitetails or something like that i got to be doing that stuff and if i'm not then it's a lot harder to write about but if i'm going out and i'm living this the same thing with all the diy whitetails and the public land hunting and traveling all over if i don't do that stuff all the time writing about it's tough because then you're just drawing on old experiences and it's just not fresh. And so it's kind of a, it, you know, having tons of deadlines kind of sucks. I mean, it's always like a little bit stressful, but at the same time, it's a motivator to just get out there and keep doing this stuff.
2: So I just got to say, I know I would find myself Going, oh man, let's just check out OnX or let's look at, how often do you find yourself actually doing that for, or looking at Google Maps for, or Const- Google Images? Constantly. I mean, I'm I'm heading out to Nebraska here in a couple
0: of days to, to hunt some public land for pheasants and quail and other stuff. And I was up till midnight last night just looking at OnX, marking spots. I've got... I've been, I've been down there and done this a few times and I had a spot where we found a bunch of quail the last time we were down there and I didn't mark it like an idiot. So I'm, I'm like kind of remembering like it's in this corner of the state. And so I was going through trying to find it and I found it, but you know, just yeah, that, that's just a part of it. You know, if you can't get out and, and you know, winter scout, like here in Minnesota right now, taking a walk around the woods, Hey, it's not that much fun. And it's not going to do you that much good for winter scouting. You know, we have too much snow and just the conditions aren't right. So, yeah, you kind of lean on the the digital side of
2: things right now. So I went on a snow goose hunt in Nebraska. It was probably the worst hunt of my life. You'd think it would be awesome. Everybody talked it up and it wasn't. But now I keep getting all these emails from Nebraska Parks and Wildlife or whatever they call themselves. And one of them that's kind of started to appeal to me is their Upland Slam. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you got an email and you're like, yeah, you know what? I might complete that or. No, I mean, I we've we've done it before
0: um, just just because it happened on these trips where we killed the four species. But no, it, you know, my whole love affair with Nebraska started when they when they changed their turkey season and offered up that early archery season, which opens way before, uh, you know, the turkey seasons here at home and, and in most states. And so we started going down there to turkey hunt just because it was an early opportunity. And when you're down there, then you see deer and you find sheds and you flush coveys of quail and you hear roosters, you know, cackling, you go, okay, this there's, there's some opportunities here. And so I started deer hunting down there. And then, you know, while you're deer hunting, you're flushing quail. And it's like, man, you know, this season stays open all the way through January when a lot of seasons are closed for upland. And so it just kind of became a natural thing where we go down there and hunt. And anyway, I mean... I think Kansas is still open, uh, throughout January too, but I got to drive by an awful lot of birds in Nebraska to get to Kansas and it just doesn't make (laughs) sense, you know?
2: Yeah. So when you're, uh, when you're looking at places to hunt and you're scouring the maps and stuff like that, what's kind of your rhyme or reason to actually select an out of state whitetail hunt? Are you primarily going like, oh, I'm going to go on a turkey hunt and check it out because it looks like good deer habitat? Or I mean, what, what are you looking at?
0: I do that a lot. I mean, I go go on a lot of turkey trips kind of with a dual purpose of hunting birds and, and seeing if the spots are worth it, but for deer, but it's, you know, for me, you know, having two little girls and having to hunt five or six states a year, it's like, all right, logistically, what can I get to in a half a day's drive or, you know, not, not spend 24 hours in the truck to get there and where can I logistically have a chance of running into a decent buck in four or five days and so you know where I live that means going west or south typically instead of heading east into you know Wisconsin Michigan that direction and it's just a matter of you know spending a lot of time doing research and finding places where there aren't a ton of people and there should be some deer
2: so um when you're doing that then, I mean, you're, okay, I guess what I'm trying to say is, are you, you're looking for certain types of habitat within that region that you kind of got an idea that you want to go to? Or what do you?
0: Uh, sort of, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, varies so much. You know, if I was going to go to Oklahoma, it'd be, I'd I'd be probably doing different kind of research than if I'm going to North Dakota, you know, and it's like, some of those states as the plain states, especially, it's not really that hard to figure out where the deer are going to be. You know, if you can zoom in on Google earth or on, on X and you can see some trees, there's probably some deer that live there, or you see a Creek bottom or a river bottom or a wooded Valley. And so it's not, to me, it's not necessarily finding where the deer are going to be. Cause that's pretty, it's pretty universal. It's more finding where the people, I don't think the people are going to be. And so it's going to be finding some of those spots, give myself a few options with different tracks of land or big tracks of land, and then getting, finding those as far away from population centers as possible. Then it's a matter of kind of fine tuning the whole thing and saying, okay, well there, I can see a pivot irrigation field here. So now I know there's probably food right there. Here's this wooded Creek bottom that's public and you can start to put that kind of stuff together, but it's, you know, it's like piece by piece.
2: Yeah. I saw a video clip of you and Kenyon and I don't remember who else was sitting there, but you guys were looking at a map and you'd actually hunted it. So you had boots on the ground, a little more knowledge, but you looked at it and right away you completely went to a different spot than there was a pinch point or something. I think that they were looking at and you're like, yeah, but everybody that looks at the map is going to go there and you picked out a food source that was on the opposite side of the property. I mean, is that something pretty common? You're, I mean, it seems like you're kind of an out of the box.
0: Yeah. You know, that was a, that was a meat eater project, um, where we kind of broke down the whole season by in two week segments. And that was Mark Kenyon and Spencer Newharth. And you can see, I I can feel when I work with those guys, I can feel the difference because Kenyon, he, he goes out and does some of the public land stuff too, but he spends a lot of time as kind of like a property manager. And so he thinks about things differently than I do. You know, I'm, I'm, primarily hunting public land and traveling to public land. So I'm looking at it going, it doesn't matter if it looks good. Like it it really doesn't, I don't, I really don't care because I can find stuff that looks good all day long. It's, it has to be something that, you know, my competition probably isn't going to go to, or, you know, 3% of the hunters who hit that property are going to go there versus 50. And so it's just a matter of looking at it through the eyes of somebody who's just used to a lot of public land.
2: Yeah. Uh, when I first reached out to you, that was one of the things we actually talked about. And I came from the whole background of hunting private. And I kind of talked to you. I don't know if you remember that conversation a whole lot or not, but it was definitely an eye opener. And one of the things you told me that really stuck with me is, uh, maybe you're just wasting your time a little bit or your expectations are too high. If you're going out there, you're not seeing the deer, maybe go to a different spot, maybe go further away. And it's one of the things that I did and it's actually, exponentially upped my odds of success with that. And it's one of them things where, um, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily think of that because you see a piece of property that's close to your house and you're like, well, yeah, it's, it's right down the road, five minutes away. I'm going to hunt it. But I, you know, <laughs> it's guys like you that, you know, you change the perspective a little bit and it, it really opens doors. And I read your book, uh, recently. And you talk about that in your book a little bit about the pressure zones and expectations. Can you kind of talk about that?
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I think to like break this concept down, you have to start with where we've gotten most of our information from. And, you know, this goes for, you know, hunting around moon phases and weather conditions and food sources and bedding areas and the the entire, the entire puzzle. But if, if we've been fed information from people who don't have to worry about hunting pressure, so they can just pay attention to the deer. You know, if you own a 1,000 acres in southern Iowa and you know nobody's going to go in there and booger those deer, then you, you can just you, – you just have an easier task of going, okay, well, it's a full moon. It's It's 20 degrees above – normal seasonal temperatures. I'm not going to hunt yet. I'm going to rest that spot until that cold front comes in, the moon's a sliver and all these things are working in my favor. Cause I'm, I know more deer are going to be on their feet. And you know, some dude who lives in Pennsylvania or wherever that only hunts public land is listening to that going, okay, well I got to pay attention to the moon. I got to pay attention to the, and then the biggest factor working against them is just hunting pressure. And so you're taking this advice from a place that doesn't have to worry about it. And you're applying it to a place where that's the first thing you should worry about. And so for me, I just, I'm just so used to going to new public land and scouting new public land and hunting it where I'm just, that's like forefront in my mind constantly. Like where are the people going to be? When are the people going to be there? You know, I, I know, I mean, maybe I'm veering way off course here, but, I know even if I find a spot, you know, like that zone that maybe not everybody's going to, I'm also going to be looking at this from the perspective of, I don't want to hunt like other hunters. So I'm probably not going to be rattling. I'm probably not going to be calling. I'm not going to be throwing out bottles of dopey left and right. I'm going to be just trying to figure out what those deer are doing naturally in there and then capitalize on it. And I think, I I, I don't, I don't know if there's a, a better way to do it. You know, it's, it's just what works for me.
2: No, I've kind of found that, you know, it's, it's one of them things to where I really don't call a whole lot on public land either. I try and put myself on them or think about where they'd be. And it seems like that way, if you are throwing a call at them, it's more or less getting them within range. Not so much trying to call a deer in. It just seems like I've had deer that stuck around and I could never see them. And you're trying to call them, call them, call them. And it's just that they know better. I yep. mean, they're mature enough. Yep. Um, so one of the other things I kind of wanted to ask you is, are you more of an over-the-counter tag kind of guy? Or are you really trying to plot out and try and figure out states that you can actually draw a tag?
0: Um, I, you know, I primarily hunt over-the-counter states, you know. I mean, that's my, I, I drive my wife absolutely freaking nuts because I, you know, I, like if you look at our calendar right now, I've got my entire fall kind of fleshed out and that'll change 300 times before here in September and something will happen and I'll decide to hunt a different state. And so I do have, you know, I'm going to cash in my Iowa points this year. And so I've been playing that game and, you know, I have, I have some points out West for elk and mule deer and those kind of critters. But, One of the reasons I like whitetails so much and whitetails on public land so much is because there are a lot of over-the-counter opportunities out there. And there's a lot of public land with whitetails on it. So you know you can go do some of that stuff. Like I I don't care where you live. You can find a state next to you or a state within a half a day's drive that's going to sell you a tag and offer you some land that has deer on it. I love that.
2: Yeah, somebody's been trying to get me to go. To Wisconsin, they've been talking about how I just don't know if I actually want to go up that way. I'd rather go somewhere where it's less crowded, but they've been telling me they give you an extra tag or something like that, or, or it's a half price tag, or I can't remember how it goes. It,
0: it's half price. The first time you buy a tag in Wisconsin's half price. So you'd buy you buy a buck tag for eighty five bucks, basically, and then you can buy dough tags for twenty bucks. And depending on what part of the state you're in, they give you some extra tags if you're in the farmland zone. So it's Wisconsin's tags and opportunities are pretty awesome. There is a lot of hunters there, but, you know, if you, depending on where you're at in the state, you can find an awful lot of land that you might have to yourself.
2: Especially if it's uh early season football season, maybe. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. If the Packers are playing, you can have it to yourself. You know I mean? I would, I would suggest, you know, if you're digging into Wisconsin, you know, I would look for a, a county. There's about half the counties allow baiting and half of them don't. I would look for a county that doesn't allow baiting that has big tracts of public land. Yeah, because you you won't you won't show up in a in a county that allows baiting and be able to compete with that. It's just it's the like the go to method, and it's it just changes the natural movement so much. It's just hard to get there and you think, oh man, this looks amazing, and you have no idea, you know, some dude's driving an ATV down this trail and he's running a corn pile, and some dude's coming in on the backside and he's running a corn pile, and so to think that you'll show up and understand the natural movement, you probably won't, it's it's really difficult. And so, you know, my suggestion would be to find find one of the counties where you, they can't bait and find some big tracks of timber.
2: That's, uh, so kind of speaking of that, when you're looking at tracks of timber and stuff like that, are you more or less when you get there, are you kind of looking for scrape lines and stuff like that? Or are you looking for transition lines and food sources with your water? I know you're a big water guy too.
0: I like water. Um, it doesn't do me any good in Wisconsin where I hunt personally cause there's water everywhere. Um, it depends, you know I mean? It's it depends what time of the season it is. You know, I think this year I'm going to go hunt some stuff in Nebraska and I'm going to go right in the middle of October. And that'll be all about scrapes for me. So, you know, if I if I were going two weeks earlier, I'd be looking for those first rubs and thinking about the food game a lot more. Uh, maybe water if there was a pond or something, if I could find it. Um, if I was going two weeks later, you know, it would be where are the most rubs, where are the pounded trails, and where are the pinch points. You know, it just kind of depends.
2: Um, right. Right. So I kind of want to ask you about your elk hunting thing too. It's one of them things that I'm kind of all over the map right now, but (laughs) (laughs) so I kind of heard you talking about it. You did a little recap and stuff, and it's one of them things that you were even talking about how, is it really worth it? Am I doing this for the right reasons? It seems like it's kind of like a big expenditure. And then all of a sudden you have your success. How does that change your mind frame now?
0: Man, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if you could do a a DIY over-the-counter hunt in Colorado and at like several points, at least not question your decision-making process and your sanity. Cause it is just, it's just legit hard, man. I mean, it's like, you know, you, you obviously have the physical aspect, but it's, it's so much more than that. And For me, you know, I kind of have to look at this stuff from like a business perspective. You know, that's the most expensive hunt I'm going to do by far. It's the most, uh, it's the most demanding time wise. And the best elk hunting happens when I could be killing whitetails in a lot of states. And so I have to give that up. And so I always, I always wrestle with that. Like, is this worth it? But I also know if I don't get into the mountains, I'm going to regret it you know, so when I leave, I'm like happy to go home. I'm like, I've had enough of sleeping in that little one man tent. I'm, (laughs) I'm done. But at the same time, you know, you look at your life and I'm, you know, I'm 39 years old. So this, this fall will be 40 years old. And if I factor in, you know, even if I have a good life and I'm only halfway to the coffin, how many days am I going to spend in the mountains? You know, I live in Minnesota. I'm not, I'm not going to spend tons and tons of time in the mountains. And so it's like, it's, it's, it's pretty easy when you're, when you're hunting to talk, you know, like talk to yourself and be like, man, this is just not my thing. It's not worth it. But when you get away or you, you have a good hunt or you, you know, have some cool encounters and you spend some time in the mountains, it's like, man, I really should try to spend as much time as I can here. So you think you're going to go back? I know
2: I'm going to go back.
0: <laughs> I, dude, I, I'm that, you know, i just like our earlier, what I mentioned earlier about driving my wife nuts. I mean, a couple weeks ago I was like, man, I'm going to draw Iowa. I got a pretty full schedule kind of laid out for this fall. I want to do some more bird hunting. And I was like, I just can't swing the elk thing. And that afternoon, my elk hunting partner called me and we were just talking, we weren't even talking about elk hunting. We were talking about deer and stuff. And just talking to Tyler, I was like, I know I'm going to go back. And so I told my wife that night, I'm like, I just, I just need 10 days in the end of September. (laughs) So go back and do the elk thing again and i'll um, I'll do it. so
2: so are you you're gonna go do the over the counter again or are you starting to build points for something else? Um I'm gonna do
0: I'll, I'll do over the counter again in Colorado. i've got I've got a lot of points in Wyoming. Um, but I'm not I feel like physically i'm I'm doing really well. like I, I try to keep myself in shape. I run a lot, lift a lot, and I feel good there, but I don't have enough confidence calling yet. And I still don't have enough confidence reading aerial photography and maps to find elk. Like it's, it's kind of, you know, back to that, that earlier conversation about the whitetails. When I look at a, you know, if, say I pick a unit and I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to narrow down to this. I know there's a trailhead here. I can walk in here and I start looking into that. And I'm like, okay, I need north-facing benches like everybody else. And I see this meadow and you can see wallows on aerial photography sometimes. Yep. And I'm like, oh, man, this looks amazing. But everybody knows that. Like that's not a secret and that's not, if you're going to Colorado and you think you're going to call a bull across a a meadow, you know, in, in September, like, it's just probably not going to happen. Like you're going to have to get into one of those zones where for some reason people either walk around it or they won't drop down into it or they can't climb up in there's, there's gotta be something there. And so I just feel like I got a huge hole in my game planning elk hunts because I can't, find stuff like that till I'm out there. And then when you get out there, I mean, you might spend three days looking for those elk or five days and not find them. And so it's just, I'm not, I'm not ready to burn a whole bunch of Wyoming points yet to go wander around in grizzly bear country with no idea what I'm doing.
2: (laughs) That's a good point. Although I have been told by a few people, if you can identify those wallows and you're there early enough in the season, you actually got a better chance as a whitetail hunter because you got the patience to sit in that tree stand and sit above that wallow. I don't know if that holds any water or not, but I believe them.
0: Um, I've I've done that. I've hunted. I've hunted right away when the season opens, and it can be a really good way to do it. But you know, like I said, there there aren't any secrets. So you think like, oh, I can just go ride this out, and eventually an elk's going to show, and that maybe just isn't the case. And so it's and there's no, I mean, it, just just as an example, probably. I guess two or three years ago, I went and hunted Southern Colorado and we were early. We were, we were there on the opener and there's a whole bunch of meadows and there's a few hidden, hidden water holes and wallows. And there's a lot of ambush options. And my buddy who I hunt with had gone in and hung some cameras on that stuff before we got there. And so we got there and checked the cameras and it was bananas. Every place he hung a camera, there was bulls coming in and they were, they were rolling and it was like, well, this is just, this is going to happen. And by the time the season was like two days old. There were people on everything. It was it was no longer you could just read it and go, it's not gonna happen. Like these these bulls are gonna approach this from downwind and go, no way. And so it's it's something to have in your arsenal, the ambush thing, but it's just I, I'd be really nervous driving, you know, <laughs> that far out there to to employ that strategy solely, you know.
2: Right. I couldn't believe the number of hunters just on the roadsides, I mean, we got there you know, two days earlier or something like that before season, and by the time it was opening morning, it was just a sea of orange. We went during a second rifle or something, mm-hmm. but it was like, holy cow, where did all these people come from? They poured out of everywhere and every road, every every forest access road and everything you could go down there is people. And it's like, okay, we're going to try and hike in there. And then you see more people in there. I could not believe the amount of people down there in Southern Colorado doing the same thing.
0: Yeah. It's, that's a psychological thing, man. I mean, it's very, very difficult to keep going after a few days when you see people like that all the time. But there, there are guys out there killing bulls in in those places, you know, like there, those, those elk are still there somewhere And it's just, it's just a huge mental hurdle to get over, to be like, okay, this, I'm I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm going to keep hunting and I'm going to find them. It's, it's tough, man.
2: Yeah, that's, I agree with that completely. So another thing I wanted to ask you about while I got you here, and this is way down another rabbit hole here, antelope. So you, I know you like it. You don't do a whole lot of it. I'm not sure why. Maybe you could tell me that,
0: uh, man, I love antelope. I think, (laughs) I think, I think my, my favorite thing to go do out West is the spot and stock mule deer, but a close second is spot and stock antelope. I, I love them. And I don't do a lot of it just because that time of the, you know, the, the, the opener type situation, which you're talking like August 15th, August 20th, depending on what state you're in um, that's kind of like my last chance to, to really be fishing with my little girls before the the school year starts. And so it's hard for me to be gone. And if you look at the, the antelope rut, when you get into that time in September, you could be hunting whitetails, could be hunting elk. It's just very hard for me to travel to hunt white or hunt antelope that time of year. And so I just don't do it as much as I'd like to, but it is, I really think, an antelope hunt is kind of like the gateway drug for Western hunting. I mean, it just – everybody wants to go on their first elk hunt and they want to kill a 300-inch bull. They have no idea, you know, how how much the odds are stacked against them, maybe have never done a traveling hunt, maybe never lived out of a tent for five, six, seven days while they're hunting. And I just think antelope, other than the heat, you know, because it it can be a miserable one, but (laughs) – I think, I think they're a great, like stick your toe in the water and go, okay, am I a traveling hunter or do I like hunting at home in the back 40? And it's, that's a good way to figure it out.
2: Yeah. It's one of them things I've really been kicking it around and trying to maybe build some points in Wyoming or something with my dad. Cause I mean, he's older, he's never going to be able to go in the mountains and do an elk hunt with me. But I think if we could get him on the plains or something like that, it'd be a good one to get him into. To do a rifle hunt? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you'd be stocking up, but
0: that, uh, I, I did one rifle hunt, you know, a long time ago for antelope and it's really fun because (laughs) if, if you can cover a few miles, you can probably get within range of a goal that's going to make you happy. And so I, that's, that's a great, a great starter hunt for people. Like if you, if you, you don't have to put in a ton of work on an antelope rifle hunt and you'll probably get your opportunity.
2: That was one of the things he was actually working up in uh, North Dakota. And I was like, Hey man, it's almost antelope season. I wonder if you could get one over the counter. And then I couldn't find any information on it. Ended up calling and they said, Oh no, we don't do that anymore. It's only residents, no non-residents. Yeah. It, that kind of sucked.
0: Yeah. It used to be, used to be a go there and for 200 bucks, you get an antelope tag over the counter and another $200 you could get a, any deer tag. So you could basically hunt mule deer or whitetails Oh, and antelope in the same trip for 400 bucks. And we used to do it every year until the, the, a bad winter came through and knocked the population way back and they took away the, the antelope hunting opportunity. But that used to be so fun.
2: Yeah. That's kind of something I think I'm going to look forward to. I don't know what States would you recommend for like a, I I mean, I don't even know if you, is there an over the counter anymore in any state?
0: Yeah, yeah. You can. I mean, that's the good thing about antelope is there's there are several states where it's not very difficult to get a tag. You can get an over the counter tag in Nebraska. You can get an over the counter tag in Colorado, um, South Dakota. You can get an over the counter tag. I mean, you gotta. It says you gotta apply, but you're gonna get it. Um, it's it's a guaranteed draw thing. I, I'm not sure about Montana. It's pretty simple to get a tag. I think Wyoming, uh, depending on where you want to hunt, you might have to build up a point or two, but. There's there is there are good opportunities out there for antelope.
2: It's good to know. I'm gonna have to really look into that a little more because it's something I think be a good way to get him. He's never hunted out west, and uh, you know, an opportunity for him and I to get out.
0: Yeah, I would. If you're if you're gonna do that, you're gonna do a a rifle hunt with your dad. It would be time to buy some points in Wyoming for a year or two, and then go do that. Yeah, that's what I would do. Um, I I like talking the Western stuff. Cause I, all of those opportunities are going to go for, away from us, I think. And so I think I, I like encouraging people to really dig into the process of doing, doing a Western hunt because I think in 10 or 15 years for most people, it's going to be like, well, there's, there's nothing I can afford or there's no, it's such an exclusive tag situation or a long wait thing that right now digging into it is, is a good idea. Cause these at the very least they may not go away but they're these western hunts are going to be a lot harder to come by
2: well that's and, oh sorry uh southern colorado is already considering taking away the over-the-counter because their herds aren't doing as good as they thought they were for elk and now it's going to be one of them things where you're going to have to apply for a draw for that it may not be hard but eventually it could be and you're starting to see point creep on everything yeah, and that's, I've been building points, I think for like five years in Arizona with just the anticipation of eventually getting enough points to go do that. And I honestly, I don't know if I'll ever get it. I'll have to just apply for a small, simple unit, nothing mm-hmm. special.
0: Yeah. Colorado changed their, their whole program this year and it's not, it's not going to be harder to get tags I don't think this year but you're not going to be able to hop units you know you're not going to just be able to get an over the counter tag it's going to be a unit specific tag and you know they're just they're like begrudgingly moving in the direction that the residents want them to go where it'll it'll eventually be more difficult for non residents to get tags which is just the way it was going to go but you know Colorado you know they're they're pretty uh dependent on those non-resident license revenues so they're they're like very very slowly moving in that direction but every other state just about except for maybe Idaho has made it more difficult for non-residents and so that's just pushed more and more people to Colorado so it's it's just a rough one out there and you know you, you look at Arizona like you you mentioned or some of the keynote species in wyoming that you could go buy a shyris moose points or bighorn sheep points or something And if you start right now you'll never draw a tag in your lifetime and you start doing the math on that and go you know i mean i had i think i had nine or ten points for moose in in wyoming i started looking at i started doing the math and go doesn't all i'm doing is giving them money every year for no chance and so it's that's something to really pay attention to for all the you know the the younger generation out there looking at this going, Oh man, I'd, I'd love to hunt Arizona for 400 inch bulls one time in my life. And it's like, you, you could buy those points and maybe never ever get that.
2: So speaking you were talking about the moose thing. You, uh, I know you were talking about, you were going to reward yourself for running however many miles you ran or whatever you and your buddy, are you actually going to go on that hunt and do something like a moose hunt, or what, what's the plans there?
0: Yeah, we did we did a thousand miles last year, and so we uh, we haven't figured out what we're going to do yet. And to be honest with you, he he wants to hunt because he doesn't get to hunt as much as I do. But I would rather take it and go for four or five days down to the ocean and fish in the ocean and <laughs> and not hunt. I'm kind of kind of obsessed with uh, shore fishing in the ocean right now, and it's just this like whole frontier that I, lo- I love to fish, but I've only got to do that a few times. And I have this, I'm kind of wired oddly, I guess you could put it where (laughs) I, I just think about all those, all those fish out there that I've never caught, I've never tried to catch and I don't know anything about, and it drives me nuts. Like I, we're, we're heading down to Florida in March and we're going to be, we're going to be, you know, there'll be some shore fishing opportunities that I've been researching and there'll be some like mangrove type of things where you could fish snook and redfish, whatever else. I've never done that. And I just, I, I I just want to do more stuff like that. And so my buddy's like, dude, we got to go hunt something awesome. And, you know, of course he knows that I'll be the one setting up the hunt and (laughs) doing all the research and he'll be coming along for the ride. So I I don't know what we're going to do for that to reward ourselves.
2: I got to say, and it kind of how you were talking and compounds on the whole thing about the Western opportunities and even Alaska being one of the last places where you can truly go and just about hunt anything that's there with, pretty readily available tags and I, I so badly want to do the Hall Road or something like that and get a caribou before it's too late or before the herds are dwindled where you're not going to have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Is that something you guys kind of been looking at or
0: Yeah, man, I've I've dug into the Hall Road a lot and you know, just once again, it's just that kind of hunt, you know, it's it's just such a uh, commitment. And it's, it, you know, it's like that, like, that's like what you're going to do for the fall. You know I mean? That's your big thing. And I'm just not, I don't want a caribou bad enough to do that yet. And I don't, I you know, this is, this is going to sound weird, but <laughs> I am kind of, uh, I love the process of planning hunts and I love going out and hunting out of a tent and stuff, but I also find myself getting very burned out on it you know, when you spend 30, 40, 50 days a year living out of a tent between turkey season and all fall, the, the idea of going up to just do the haul road, I'm like that it, to me, it just sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm not there. I just, I don't, I don't want to do it yet. And I probably at some point will, um, but not, not at least for a couple of years.
2: Man, I don't know. I guess it's different when it's, when that's my getaway versus that's your work, but you know, I definitely, I, I don't know. I dream, I dream about crap like that, but yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's that, you know, there's a lesson there, right? I mean, m- most people do, and, and most people would assume that I do too, but I, I don't, I can't separate my hunting from my business. And so there's always like that commercial aspect and I'm always carrying the camera gear and it's just, it's a, there's a different feel to hunting for me. And that's one of the reasons why I'm leaning into the ocean fishing and some of the other stuff and the, you know, bird dogs and the upland hunting is, it's just, it's, that's like my escape now. You know, like I just do that. It's pure fun. It's like fishing smallmouth in the summer with my little girls. Like I'm not, I'm not writing about that. I'm not, it's not, it's not part of my business really. I'm just, I just enjoy the crap out of it, you know? And I know, like, to go to Alaska, I got to make sure that's worth my time. And that means it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah,
2: that's for sure. I was talking to Chad Hoover the other day, and it's kind of funny because his is completely opposite of yours. And he was talking about, he's like, man, I just want to get out and hunt. And I haven't had time for the past four years, you know, building the brand and everything that he's doing with the whole kayak bass fishing. And uh, he's like... I don't even want to film it. He's like, I know people would like to see that content, but I just want it to be mine. I don't want to film it. I just want to enjoy it. And he's like, truthfully, I love fishing and I'm still glad I'm out there every day, but there's times when it's just, it sucks because yep. it's work. Yep. And I, I mean, I guess I can get that. Although I always have heard the old adage that, you know, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life.
0: Yeah. It's, <laughs> let me, let me tell you, that's not entirely true. Cause you don't, I don't, I don't know very many people who love filming anything in the outdoors. It's, it sucks. I mean, it just, it, it makes, I don't care what you're doing. I've, I've filmed fishing stuff. I filmed a lot of hunting stuff and it just, it is like the dominant thought. It's like the dominant thing always like, okay, what's, you know, like we got to get this shot. We got to get this shot. Is the camera on him? Is it, you know, And having somebody else with you that way? it makes it really difficult. I mean, that's, that's why when I see these guys, you know, like the hunting public guys doing this stuff, I'm like, man, it's amazing to me to see how motivated they are and how willing they are to do that over and over again. I I love it because they're making great content. But for me, I know like uh, that I would be, if I, (laughs) if I had to film like the hunting public guys do, I would put rocks in my pockets and wade into the Mississippi because I would, (laughs) no, thank you.
2: So let's talk about your filming that you got going on right now, or did that already happen and it's going to air with the whole project whitetail?
0: Well, we, we film, we, you know, project public's wrapped up. I mean, we filmed, we, we filmed some random stuff and put it up when it's necessary. And, you know, my, my business partner is, he owns a production company and so he's, he's behind the camera all the time and he's always like dude let's film this let's film this let's film this and i'm always like i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to <laughs> like and so he we kind of we hit some we we find a happy medium sometimes and film some stuff and we've got some plans for this fall we might do i got i've got an idea for a big project based around public land and i think it would be if you pulled it off would it would be really cool but I also know it's going to be a ton of work and just eat into some of the stuff I really want to do, and so I don't know if I'll do it. So i I've, I've, I just flirt with filming. Like I've, I've done it. You know, I did it for Bowhunter TV many times and have done some other projects. And I'm always like, every time I do it, I'm like, okay, I don't need to do that for a long time. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm in filming. I'm in outdoor filming purgatory right now.
2: So you just keep stick with the pictures for now. <laughs> I,
0: man, I, I love. I love photography and I, I would so much, I would so much rather be behind the camera than in front of it.
2: Yeah. I I don't know, man. I just kind of, I'm one of the guys who I admire it, but I have no desire to pick up that camera either and even do that or film or any of that. It just doesn't seem, I just want to be on my own and hunt and talk to people about it, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's, it just, it's just a different thing. You know I mean? If you, if you're a writer and you do what I do, you're you're picking up a camera, you know I mean? You just, you just have to, otherwise you won't have any work. And I, I really have found that I enjoy photography. If it's, you know, if I'm heading out into the woods and I'm going to shoot some wildlife photos or, you know, I'm sitting in my tree stand, I'm shooting photos all day long. Um, I just, I've, I've learned to enjoy it. I don't, I don't like having to set up, you know, hunting photos in in March to make it look like November to show somebody's new ground blind or something like that. That's a lot less fun. <laughs> that's that that feels a little bit more like work, but you can I don't know. There there there's there's some awesome aspects to it, you know.
2: Yeah. So let's talk real quick about uh mule deer and how you chase them. You got any kind of like strategy that you do for a yearly hunt or anything like that or what do you
0: Um I don't hunt mule deer every year. I'd like to. Um, there's there's not as many opportunities out there as there used to be, But I really think if you want to have fun, especially as a bow hunter, uh, i never I guess I've never gone hunted them. But as a bow hunter, to go spot and stock mule deer is it, with I should say this with low standards, <laughs> like if you go <laughs> like I take out there, it is just the most fun. If you have those low standards and you see, if you see deer and, you, and you're going to stock them and you're going to get multiple stocks in a day and they're, you know, mule deer generally aren't like terribly difficult to find. Like it's not super hard and, but they are really hard to stalk, especially if you come from an ambush style background, like most whitetail hunters do. And so it's just a, it's just such a proactive style of hunting versus the whitetail thing where you're playing that chess game all year round and you're scouting and you're, you know, like the actual moment of truth is you sitting in the tree for long, long hours, you know, mule deer are different. Like you're out there peeking over the ridges and glass and drainages and just, it's, it's just an active, really enjoyable style of hunting.
2: So back to that now, cause it kind of got me thinking about it. And you talked about the ambush style of hunting. Are you an all day sit kind of guy, or are you kind of get up and move around? Because I cannot tolerate all day sit. It's one of them things I'm working on, but I still can't do it. Um,
0: during the rut, absolutely. You know, I mean, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do something this year that I've never done before. I think I'm gonna try if the conditions work for me. I'm gonna try some early all day sits on water. If I could find the right situation, if it's hot enough, uh, because I think, well, I know, I know those deer are visiting all day long. And so I, m- I might try that, but for the rut, yeah, I mean it, and it's like, that's a matter of you, you really got to be in a place. You have a lot of confidence and that, that just any second now you're going to see him coming down the trail and you got to do, you got to do what you can to keep yourself comfortable. You know? So I'm, I'm a big coffee guy. So I'll ha- I'll have like two Yeti ramblers full of coffee for the whole day and I play, you know, dumb games like where I'll reward myself like oh man every 45 minutes I get a sip of coffee or eat a Snickers or something like that and you know I do I do a lot of reading when I'm out there and it's it I would rather you know I, I know a lot of people just spend tons of time on their phone, you know, snapchatting or whatever they're doing and you know I, I yeah, obviously, I check my phone and stuff when I'm on my tree stand too, but I found that I hunt better. And this kind of came from turkey hunting because I sit all day in the turkey blind a lot when we go uh, you know out of state. And if I bring a little paperback book or something, uh, I can you know, like read a page, look around, and i'm I'm just like, I'm, I feel like I'm more engaged into the the sounds around me and just less like disconnected than when i'm staring at my phone so you know last you know this past year in north dakota i sat all day every day for a couple days because i was in a spot i felt like they were going to be cruising and i would shut my phone off and check it you know once every couple hours just for the hell of it and then shut it off again and read and i shoot photos and just try to try to figure out ways to you know tolerate it and you know if you if you're seeing a deer like once every couple of hours, it's not that hard. It's those days when you're like, okay, well, it's I've, I've been out here for 10 hours. I haven't seen a thing yet. That's <laughs> That gets tough.
2: Normally, that's what hits me about hour six. I'm in the tree, and I start looking around. I'm going, man, I don't know. What am I doing here? And then I start, <laughs> other yeah. things pop into your head, the self-doubt and everything else. And then I normally end up getting down and moving to a different spot. But I know I got to start sitting. So back to the mule deer. Uh, you, you always kind of do like a plains type mule deer hunt, or are you, uh, kind of wanting to go out high country mule deer stuff?
0: Um, high country mule deer are pretty cool, man. Um, a lot harder to get a tag for those situations typically. Uh, but you know, that's like the sort of the dream mule deer situation, right? You know, you get hike up on a hog's back and you glass a big mountain basin and find these bucks and bet them down and get above them and get on them. I would I would do that every year if it was feasible. It's just not. Um, you know, so so my experience has been way more in badlands type of stuff and breaks type of stuff and more plains type of mule deer just cuz that's been where I can get tags, but it's even you know you you could find some really really cool mule deer hunts out there in states where you would think this, this is not going to be, you know, the, the train's going to suck. It's not going to be that cool. It's not gonna be that pretty. And you get out there and it's like way more breaky and way, way more physically demanding and more interesting overall. Um, uh, you know, Western North Dakota is a great example of that. Like you're going to drive through a whole bunch of that state where you're like, wow, this is, this seems like a bad idea. And you get out to the badlands and it's like, this just gnarly, beautiful, deserty type of looking stuff, and there's mule deer tucked into those draws and drainages, and it's just a—it's so fun to get into that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, that's something I want to do eventually too. Don't know when, but I'll get there. Um, I think that's kind of a good spot. We've been all over the map, Tony. Really, we—we
0: uh, we, we have for sure.
2: <laughs> I'll blame that on my fatigue, but. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, is there anything you want to say to wrap this up or anything? And we'll kind of get going here.
0: Yeah, man. You know, I mean, anybody wants to hear more. I host hunt for real, the hunt for real podcast, anybody who's into dogs and bird dogs, you know, I hunt, I host uh, sporting dog talk, you know, writing all over the place, mule deer and bow or meat eater, bow hunter, North American whitetail, all kinds of, all kinds of different outlets there. So, but man, I really, really appreciate you having me on.
2: I appreciate you coming on. I know I've been bugging you for a little while now, but (laughs) I'm glad, glad we finally got together and did this. So I thank you and uh, I'll talk to you soon.
0: All right. Thanks, man.
2: Thank you for listening to the publicly challenged podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe on whatever platform it is that you're listening to. Also, you can find us on Instagram at Publicly Challenged, and you can also find us at Publicly Challenged Podcast or publiclychallenged.com. So please reach out to us with any questions, comments, concerns, or maybe you'd even like to be on the show. And once again, thank you so much for listening.
1: You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand the number one hunting and land management app. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.